Hey there, Multi-Amory listeners. It's Dedeker, and I just want to announce that I just did a big update to my online course, Building a Solid Foundation for Non-Monogamy. I've added more exercises, more journal prompts, and more discussion questions to tackle with a partner. And I'm also running a summer sale where you can access the course for a discount. So for a little bit of backstory, last year I launched this online course. I created it because over my many, many years of working with clients, I noticed this pattern where Many people would come to me already knowledgeable about non-monogamy. They've listened to countless multi-amory episodes, they've devoured all the books, they follow all the Instagram and TikTok meme accounts, and yet they still hit these snags in their relationships. They still feel misunderstood by their partners. So I thought it was about time to bring some evidence-based and research-backed practices into the mix to help people create a solid starting ground for their relationship as they journey into non-monogamy. So if you head over to dedekerwinston.com slash course, you can preview the intro to the course and you can see if this is a right fit for you. Go to dedekerwinston.com slash course and use promo code MULTI20 at checkout to get a 20% discount. If you are a Multi-Amory Patreon subscriber, you will get a special code for a bigger discount. So go to patreon.com slash multi-amory to get that discount code. And remember, if you are in financial need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and you can literally name your price. I'm serious. You can name your price at a dollar and you don't even have to give me a reason why. In fact, I'd prefer you didn't even give me a reason why because we really believe in how important it is that there's an abundance of relationship resources that are available and accessible. Again, go to dedekerwinston.com slash course, promo code multi20, or reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and name your price. And if the point of this is really to look at these and say, well, how might we apply more of this in our lives? Mm Because I do think that the core ideas of relationship anarchy are really about positivity and empowering more people and helping more people's relationships to be validated and for people to be able to, you know, shape their own destinies more. I think that's Mm -hmm. all great. And I don't think it means that you have to have a bunch of different sexual relationships with different people and that you can't have any that you're really close and dedicated to and that you have to spend equal amounts of time with all of them. You know, stuff that that we talk about a lot on, on other episodes too, of that idea of not having hierarchy doesn't mean you spend exactly equal amounts of time and do equal things with yeah. every partner. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about how relationship anarchy can apply in monogamous relationships. This is an episode that I'm really excited for us to discuss, and I also anticipate that there will be a lot of people out there with very strong feelings one way or another about this episode. And so I just want to start out by saying, great, 
good. I, I hope that this episode inspires some discussion and gets you to think about things, whether you are hardcore, identify as a relationship anarchist and say no monogamous person could ever count as what I am, or you're a monogamous person who's saying, yeah, I do apply this a lot in my life. Whichever side you're on, hopefully this episode gives you some things to think about and to explore, because ultimately the, the point of all of these kinds of philosophies and different ways of examining and approaching our relationships is to make them better, not only for ourselves, but also for everyone else and to make this world a better place for other people and ourselves to do our relationships. If you would like some background on what relationship anarchy is, because I just said that a bunch of times and you're like, what the heck are you talking about? We have a couple episodes that we've done where we've just talked specifically about what relationship anarchy is. One of those is episode 150, way back now. Uh, that's called Relationship Anarchy 101, where we go over sort of the history of how this came to be, as well as you know looking at the actual document that brought this to most people's attention. Uh, and then episode 339, where we talk more recently about the Relationship Anarchy Sporgasboard, which is a tool for helping to design what goes into each of your relationships. I'm curious, Jace, what inspired you to pull together this episode? I think this is something mm -hmm. that I've been harping on in my own private circles for several years. That <laughs> Harping how? I uh, just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just a little bit of a hot take that I haven't fully developed. That Yeah, I do think <laughs> that one can choose monogamy and identify as a relationship anarchist. But again, like I said, I've not fully fleshed out my arguments for that necessarily. Mm. Like I've wanted to do some writing about that. And a lot of people who take on the relationship anarchy label usually want to just kind of get in a fight about that right away. And so yeah, I'm just kind of like, yeah. I'm not going to go spread that hot take around the internet until I'm ready to actually discuss it and explore it and maybe even defend it. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe after I think about it, then I'll realize that it's BS. But I'm curious about what brought you to this topic. Yeah, I mean, this came just now out of a conversation that I was having with someone who essentially was asking that question of, you know, can this apply? Does this make sense? And we've gotten that question before when we've done workshops and things like that about relationship anarchy. That question will come up of, I'm monogamous. Does this even apply to me? Can, can I do anything about this? And it, it, Honestly, in planning this, I've gone back and forth so many times on on what I do think about it. So it's such an interesting topic with a lot of nuance in it. I don't know if you two remember, but way back when we were at Southwest Love Fest in mm -hmm. Tucson and we were doing a Relationship Anarchy 101 talk, my mom was in the audience and she like piped up and was like, I think I'm a relationship. Yeah, I she was so excited. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was I cracking up at that. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because I definitely would think that my mother would count herself as somebody who's monogamous. I guess, <laughs> even though there's some questionable <laughs> things there as well. Um, but but you know, if she, I think, for all intents and purposes believes that if she were in a relationship, she would probably be monogamous. But she also said those words, like, I think mm. I'm a relationship anarchist. And I do think we were talking about this this morning, that the way that I grew up, it was not a nuclear family. I lived with my grandmother and her. So already that's like an extended family situation. 
and the people across the street who I lived with or not lived with, but uh, who lived across the street from me were my best friends. And they also, yeah, yeah, they also in many ways helped take care of me and they ended up being my God family. So that extended and created chosen family within my life almost immediately from the get go. So maybe she's not wrong. Maybe we grew up (laughs) in this setting of like a lot of people are really important and they don't just have to be somebody that you're in love with or somebody that you, you know, decide to marry or something along those lines, even though it's more, more normal, more monogamous, I guess. Well, I think, I mean, definitely from your mom's perspective, I I think certainly progressive in like choosing her own terms for like raising a child. Right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty good segue into let's just talk a little bit about the a, a sort of a quick review of relationship anarchy. You know, what do we mean when we're talking about this? So if someone's listening to this episode and they haven't yet gone back and listened to those other ones or they haven't really heard about this or maybe they've heard a little but aren't sure they have the right impression of it. Let's just briefly talk about some of the core ideas and and what it's all about before we get into specifically looking at how this can apply in monogamous relationships. So relationship anarchy first was coined, the term was coined by Andy Nordgren in 2012. And they wrote, quote, the short instructional manifesto for relationship anarchy. And they introduced that document to the world. Right. And it 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 came out of maybe three pages. Yeah, it's not terribly long. And it came out of a a group. And and they say that in in the manifesto that this came out of discussions that they had amongst their group of of queer people. Uh, But Mm -hmm. so it's not like Andy made this, but they're the one who kind of brought it to the world by publishing this. And it's a yes. beautiful, it's a beautiful piece. You should definitely go Google it and check it out. Absolutely. Yeah, we've, we've all read it many times. And essentially relationship anarchy is this idea that there is no hierarchy within relationship dynamics at all. So that basically means that friends or family, community, hobbies, goals, all of those things, they can be as important as romantic relationships, just as important and just as meaningful in one's life. And that's sort of a counterculture to a lot of monogamous relationships and and monogamous viewpoints. And I think nuclear families where they are essentially were told that that has to be the most important thing and everything else comes secondary or tertiary or beyond. And, you know, the romantic person or ultimately maybe the romantic person and then the immediate children, those are the only people or the most important people in one's life, the primary person or people in one's life. Yeah. And if that sounds like, I don't know if that's true. I think a fun mental exercise is just to think about how many situations you've been in where someone's reason to do or not to do something is because of a romantic partner. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't Mm -hmm. do that because that's my girlfriend's birthday or something like that versus how often we might do that with other types of relationships. And that if someone's like, oh, your partner's doing something or your partner's sick and you're going to take care of them, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, got it. But if you say, oh, you know, my my friend is sick and I'm going to go over and take care of him while he's taking the day off, it's like, wait, but but like you have work and other obligations and we had plans. Like, what do you mean? That's Mm -hmm. kind of an example of how this shows up in a really sneaky secret way because we don't even question it generally. 
And there's a fair amount of, you know, Venn diagram overlap with political anarchy that holds a lot of, you know, the same values of a lack of hierarchies, you know, self-definition of relationships, self-governance, as it were, you know, values of autonomy, a lack of outer outside control, usually, especially in political anarchy, it's about a lack of state control, you know, anti-normativity, and also things like community interdependence. So now to our question, relationship anarchy and monogamy. Is this possible? Or is this just a contradiction in terms? Right? So let's, let's start off just kind of exploring that a little bit of, of let's start with, okay, what would be some examples that come to mind right away before we really dive into each of these different parts of relationship anarchy? Uh, what are some examples of, yeah, yeah, I think you could apply that. I mean, Dedeker, you were just talking about this, that it comes up a lot for you in discussions. And I've definitely had these discussions with people as well. Uh, you know, how, how does this how does it seem like it works? How does it seem like it works to apply relationship anarchy? Yeah, I guess the way that I would think that it would work is, I mean, if we already look at the shifting landscape around how monogamy is defined and the purpose of monogamy as well, mm. like that in itself has already shifted so much over the years. And so I do think that right now we're in a time where people are... I think learning to even define monogamy on their own terms, as opposed to the terms that was dictated them by their culture or their microculture when they were growing up. Right. And also, you know, defining what it is that they're going to get out of their relationship, what the function is of their relationship outside of what other people have told them that it should be. Now, of course, that means there's still a very, very powerful current of a mainstream that pushes a lot of people, even the people who are kind of on the fringes, you know, pushes them into a very particular shape of relationship. And often that can dictate exactly what obligations are, you know, inherently there in the relationship. But, but I suppose, okay, I guess that's maybe that's the first part of my argument is that I do think that things are shifting where even the definition of monogamy itself is becoming something that I think people feel a little more comfortable taking on for themselves and discovering for themselves. It's not just the non-monogamous folks who are learning to define relationships on their own terms. I think the function of fidelity is in an in and of itself what many people deem to be monogamy. So it's just that you're fidelitous with a single person. Like two people are not going to have sex with anyone else. But beyond that, all of the other things that come with uh, many people's idea of monogamy that, okay, they're primary and that everything else comes second or whatever. I think that is potentially where relationship anarchy can come into play because yes, maybe you only sleep with one person, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be more special or something or, you know, mean more or come first above all others. I think that, yeah, it, one can reserve sex for maybe one other person, but then all of the other things that happen in, within relationships can happen with multiple people, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to look at that, to take apart the like monogamy piece from all yeah. the other stuff that we actually attach to monogamy culturally. Sure, wow. yeah. yeah. I think also as we see, you know, more popularity around things like living apart together, you know, for the people who are mm. able to do that, 
that, you know, I think mm-hmm. that is coming more into our discourse about a lot of people and especially women who date men talking about how, hey, actually, it'd be great to just have my own space, right? Yeah. To be able to be in love with someone, to choose that person to be my monogamous partner, but also we live our separate lives. We live in our separate spaces. You know, I think a lot of people are coming around to that feeling pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just now I'm so interested thinking about what Emily brought up of imagine a scenario where you do have one person where it's like, this is the only person that I'm going to be sexual with, or, or maybe we'll even include like kissing or, or something like that. Sure. Like, that's the only person I'm going to do that with. And yet they don't have any of the other trappings of what we think of with monogamous romantic relationships. It's like, say you do your cuddling with someone else, you raise a kid with a different person than this person, you live with a different person, you know, whether that's the same person or several other people, there's an interesting question of would other people look at that and say, Oh yeah, yeah, she's monogamous (laughs) or would they be like, no, not at all. And then it's kind of that question of, well, wait, what is monogamy then? We say it's one thing, but actually maybe we really mean this whole set of stuff that kind of all comes together. Well, I'm trying to get like really granular on the word. Like what is is monogamy? Like what defines it? And when I think about it, it's to me, it's like, yeah, this is the person that you're going to have sex with only. Well, often in very material terms, that's what it tends to come down to. Sure. And we, we as a society, I think, have placed a lot of other things on top of that of what it actually means and what it means at an emotional level and what it means at a level of these are the only things that I do with a person. But again, if you're looking at things like the relationship anarchy smorgasbord and questioning, like, do I actually want to do all the prescribed things that monogamous people do? or not and deciding differently from that, then I think relationship anarchy can come more into play. Yeah. I mean, I think just the fact that we have culturally terms like emotional infidelity or like emotional cheating Mm -hmm. just goes to show that what we say monogamy is, it's actually not like we actually include a lot of other stuff in that, a lot of other assumptions about what you can and can't do. Right. And that's a lot of people do. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the include that. the core things that we're going to talk about is that idea of autonomy and control. Right. So if the assumption is that I need to limit some of my behavior specifically because of this type of relationship. And so therefore it has to come with all these other things. You know, that's that's the thing that relationship anarchy is fighting against or or one of the things. And so, yeah, I think that's a great example I would say also just to throw this out there for the people who are like, "Mm, but no, but you're not doing enough is that idea of if relationship anarchy, part of what it's doing is breaking down this idea that our society can tell you this type of relationship's valid and okay. And this one's not. And so to turn that around and say, well, now this one can't ever be valid. Mm. That's not cool either. So that's, that's antithetical to the whole concept, right? Um, like that idea of gatekeeping of like, oh, well you, you can't, you can't, you're not like actually in a good relationship. Cause I think relationship anarchy is good. And if you're doing monogamy in any way, like that's by definition, not good. And therefore it's wrong. That's just turning the whole thing back around on itself. And that's not, that's not good. That's not the point of this, at least, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think that again, in very practical and real world terms, I do think there's a lot of people who have glommed onto the relationship anarchy label 
where the purpose of it is more about, I don't want any obligations. So like, don't expect Mm -hmm. anything from me at all. Like, just don't expect anything from me. Don't expect that I'm going to text you back. Don't ask me to be exclusive, you know, whatever. And like, whatever, if you don't want those things, that's totally okay to not want them. But I think that also it does tend... And so sometimes I think because of that, people get a very bad taste in their mouth about relationship anarchy. Mm. Quite frankly, it's like the people who end up my clients are people who've been burned by someone who called themselves a relationship anarchist. And now they're like, I'm trying to understand what does it mean? Was it okay? You know, things like Mm. that. But but I, I, I do think that when we associate that label with that particular practice, it does leave out a big swath of experience where really it's just about people getting to define their relationships the way that they want them to, right? It's not just about, I keep everyone at arm's length and Mm -hmm. no one can pin me down and no one can expect or ask anything of me. Like a lot of relationship anarchists have sometimes multiple, very deep committed. I put air quotes around committed because of course it's going to be a different definition of committed for everybody. Um, You know, entangled, relationships. And, and so, yeah, so I think that, that maybe that's the crux of the argument on, on the side, arguing for the idea that relationship anarchy and monogamy could overlap or intersect is that like, if you're Mm -hmm. letting people define what kind of relationships they're going to have and letting the people in those relationships make those decisions, allegedly those people can make the decision we're going to have sex exclusively with each other, or we're going to have a kid exclusively with each other, or we're going to live exclusively with each other, whatever it is. Right. So I think in principle, it allows for that. Yeah. So now let's explore a little bit of, well, what's the other argument though? What, what is the argument against saying that monogamous people could, could be relationship anarchists or that a relationship anarchist could be monogamous? Well, we could go to maybe the most extreme that I've seen it, which is, you know, I think that I've seen some flavors of relationship anarchy uh, that make the argument that any kind of couplehood or any kind of romantic, Hmm. quote unquote, romantic love or romantically based relationship, that's no good. You know, that Hmm. we need to fully swing way far away from the idea of even a relationship, you know, between two people that we really need to swing very hard into just community and and just groups. And so even polyamory is no good because that's all based on like dyads and romantic and sexual love, you know? So I, I think, I mean, that's not, obviously this is not the worldview that I ascribe to, but I've seen that out there in the wild. And so I do think in that worldview, of course, traditional monogamy doesn't fit. I, as we were talking about this, I was like, there's got to be some gatekeepers out there for relationship anarchy, I'm assuming. And people were like, you're not doing it enough. Or I was like, okay, at what place is the threshold for I just tipped over into I am relationship anarchy enough to call myself (laughs) relationship anarchist? Yeah, I, that is a good point. I think people who do get married and we've talked about it a lot on this show, they're going to have a huge amount of privilege insofar as, you know, the tax breaks. And I think people, you know, being able to write your spouse's name on something and uh, potentially getting uh, insurance together and just all the little tiny ways in which our society tends to tell us, yes, you should get married and we're going to incentivize it in a variety of ways. And I think, yeah, those incentives may not be something that are very attractive to those who prescribe to more 
anarchist viewpoints. Well, yeah, I mean, totally. I, 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 I that's another thing that I've harped on for many years. Ironically, on yeah. the other side, is that it's like we need really need to be leveling the playing field there and Definitely. not just favoring the single state sponsored state favored version of relationship. Yeah. Right. And and while that is changing some, like more and more companies in more and more states, in the US at least, you know, are, are offering benefits to whoever. However, it's still very much there's an expectation of you're monogamous and you're, you know, committed to each other and that you're probably sexual with each other. They they don't ever say that, but like that's, you know, kind of built into the assumption. But like what was it? I remember with, um, I was applying for benefits and they were saying, yeah, you can, you can add someone to this. They don't have to be your spouse. And I said, Oh really? Like, so I can, I could have my partner uh, be on there. And they're like, yeah, I mean, as long as you're not married to anyone else, <laughs> as if that was the like, most ridiculous oh. concept they'd ever heard. And I'm like, <laughs> you're like, oh, oh, oh. Okay, okay. Well, mm, yeah. So, but it's like that is those kind of built in things. And so if you are living that, and taking advantage of some of those benefits, then it's like, well, in a certain sense, I could see an argument that you are kind of encouraging or at least going along with and not pushing back against this thing because it's benefiting you because of the way you're doing your relationship. So that's another yeah, argument I, I could see against. I was going to say essentially that, that mm. even if you are a relationship anarchist who is monogamous and you are living your life in such a way that there is no hierarchy, you're still going to come across people out there who will treat you as though your relationship is the highest and, and the best and the most important. Yeah. And that's just because that's the society we live in and that's how it goes. And so I think, yeah, it is, some people may not love that idea or find that those two are you know, at, at odds with one another, just simply because so many out there are going to put privilege upon your relationship, even if you are trying to not do that. Yeah, I think something that comes up a lot in discussions about anarchy and about relationship anarchy is this idea that if you're not actively doing something against these systems that are in place, then yeah. you kind of then you kind aren't kind of aren't in the club is sort of mm -hmm. how it comes across and i think there's validity to that right i'm not saying that to mm. to mock that at all it's it does make sense it's like yeah i could say oh man you know monogamy and marriage is bad but also like i'm i'm married and i'm monogamous and i'm taking advantage of that and i'm getting paid more at work because i'm married and that's mm. been shown in studies that married men get paid more than single men on average wow. you know there's stuff like that so, right i could get all those advantages and then just like say I'm relationship anarchist, even though I'm not really doing anything to further yeah. that idea. I'm like, well, yeah, that's that's shitty. However, on the other side, there's kind of that idea of you'll see, I've seen some blogs out there from relationship anarchists saying like, if you're not actively trying to break up monogamous couples, then you're not doing enough. Like you, you need to be completely destroying and anti anything that looks like this. Again, like, that's the only way you get your card, man. That's the only way. Jeez. Yeah, okay. that's like your hazing ritual. Like, if you haven't broken someone up, then you you can't get in. <laughs> so, right, so Just on the two extremes there. Right, there's kind of yeah. two extremes, and I, I hope we can find a place in the middle there. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, and again, I guess coming back to some fundamentals, that if you're looking at a framework that really prioritizes autonomy and a lack of 
control or a lack of limiting that autonomy whatsoever, then of course, I think the most common argument is like, well, by agreeing to monogamy, you are agreeing to limit somebody else's autonomy, right? You're directly telling them you cannot go do X, Y, and Z. You can't go have sex with somebody else. You can't go live with somebody else. You can't make out with somebody else. You can't have a child with somebody else, whatever it is. All again, all that stuff that we package together with monogamy. And so, yeah, I think that's one of the simpler arguments, right? Is that if you assume that monogamy is based on restricting somebody else's autonomy, then that contradicts relationship anarchy principles. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is, that also brings up another question like Emily brought up of what is monogamy? Because, I could see, okay, well, someone makes the argument of, well, sure, but I'm in this relationship and I like this person a lot and I don't want to have sex with anyone else. And they've told me that they don't want to have sex with anyone else. So we're monogamous, but we're not, it's not a rule. You know, it's not, not even like mm-hmm. an agreement. It's just, we're, that's just what we're doing. And while that might be true sometimes, I think a lot of times it's like, yeah, but there is kind of an expectation there that in order for you to call yourselves monogamous unspoken were rule, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. To call yourself that most people do have a little bit of this thing of, well, okay, what if suddenly they didn't do that? Would that be a problem for you? Mm. Which I mean, maybe right there, that's an interesting question. Cause maybe that is you. And you're like, you know, if they did change their mind, I would be okay with that. And that wouldn't necessarily change how I would behave now. Now this is great. We're, we're onto something, but I do think for a lot of people that monogamy doesn't just mean that I'm not doing sex and romance with so other people. I don't want to. It's that I don't want to and that there's an expectation that I won't and you won't. That that's sort of a yeah. deal we have. And that if you don't have that deal, a lot of people might still think, oh, well, you're just you're kind of casually dating still or you're not really monogamous yet or something, right? So not to say that's a hard and fast, like, nope, well, that's why you can't be. But depending how you're doing it, I could see that being a pretty compelling argument to say, well, that's not really relationship anarchy, even though you're trying to explain it in a way that it could be. Does that make sense? But are you now gatekeeping, Jace? (laughs) Are you you on the board of directors now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Someone's got to be. Right. (laughs) <laughs> no one's no one stepped up and got their laminating machine out to make cards. So I guess there I will. You go. No, I mean, and that's I guess that's what I'm getting at is that, and this is what we'll discuss as we get into some ways that we can look at these core, the the core values of relationship anarchy and how we can apply these in our lives and how we can question some of these unquestioned assumptions and the way that we live our lives, even if we're doing our life that in some ways seems very non traditional. We might. St- still have a lot of unquestioned things. I would argue pretty much all of us do, right? It's the water that we swim in. There's always going to be some stuff we haven't questioned yet. Uh, So, you know, there's always going to be some value there to really examining that. Uh, But just that the point is not to tell someone else whether they are a relationship anarchist or not, but more to question for yourself of, huh, okay, if these parts of relationship anarchy do resonate for me and are values that I do believe in, am I living a life that reflects these values? And am I living a life that's helping to further these values in the world outside of just my own head? Mm. Yeah, I like that. It's it's like, yeah, this this process of inquiry of like, why am I drawn to this? And also, you know, for instance, if I wanted to go so far as to adopt this label to define mm-hmm. myself, what is the purpose in that? Yeah. You know, because I think there can be many, many different purposes. You know, if I think for some people adopting that label makes it easier for them to then take actions to live out those values 
in real life. And for some people, I think it's just the purpose of hanging out with the cool kids. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Frankly, God, hanging out with the cool kids. Wow. Yeah. No, that's a really good, that is a really good point of, yeah, huh. why, why do you want this label or why might you want this? Yeah. I love that. It's, fu- it's funny. It's, I don't want to get into it now, but it does remind me of a conversation I was just having with my therapist yeah. about, about kind of your motivations for doing something. Is mm-hmm. it just to feel cool or is it because it's something you value? That that was sort of mm. a question that came up. Um, or, you know, are you doing it just because you think you should, right? Whether that's doing monogamy because you just think you should and that's just what you're supposed to do. Or are you trying to say you're a relationship anarchist just because you think you should because you see, oh, the current system's bad. So I, I probably should be this. Or like, I'm a liberal person. I should yeah, be this. Yeah, you're so right. I, I feel like <laughs> between three and five years ago, there was a, I, I noticed this big shift in like polyamorous people suddenly were like, no, relationship anarchist. And yep. I think that's yep. died down a Wait, little bit. It's saying no. no as in no, we're not doing that No, anymore? as in no, I, I don't use or, the word polyamory anymore. It's all relationship anarchy. Oh, and then I think that a lot of the yeah. relationship anarchists were like, no, you're not an anarchist enough and chase them away. <laughs> this say. is purely my, <laughs> my armchair yeah. sociologist, internet sociologist right. theory coming to the <laughs> forefront. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So, so now let's get into these five core principles and talk about them. But first, we do want to take a quick break to talk about how you can help support this show. We really value being able to make this show and put this content out there to everyone for free. It's not behind a paywall. It's not your access to it isn't limited. Um, And one of the ways that we do that is by having ads in our show and also by having ways that you can directly support our show and join our communities there. So we'd really appreciate it if you take a moment to listen to those. If any seem interesting to you, go check them out. If they don't, that's cool too. We're still here for you. The podcast is still going to be here. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello and welcome back. So we're going to be looking at five of the core principles of relationship anarchy. This is not an exhaustive list, but basically we're going to look at these five and we're going to discuss what it may actually look like in reality to put these into practice. Because I, I do think that something that can happen, I think particularly in these spaces, not just the RA space, but the polyamory, non monogamy, just kind of alternative relationship space our engines get really filled up by theory and philosophy. But then sometimes Mm. it's like our tires, we don't have tires. I feel like, I feel like it's literally a rubber meets the road kind of thing where like sometimes we fall apart where like our ideals crash into reality and the real Mm. and the pragmatic and the material. And so I always love bringing that in, putting, putting some freaking rubber 
on our tires. So we're not just sitting here with a full tank of gas. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Wow. Wow. All right. So the first of these is autonomy. And we've mentioned this a fair amount already, but let's take a look at this and see some ways that autonomy comes up. Maybe some ways we can question this as well as some ways we can start to look at how this goes into our lives. And and the first one we'll start with is just uh, what we already talked about a little bit is that idea that monogamy is just by default it's the only kind of real relationship or that we're monogamous with each other. And even if we haven't said it, there's kind of this social agreement and understanding that if you ever were not monogamous with me, that's going to be a problem that that I'm going to be upset by that. And that's not cool. Even if we haven't talked about it. And so I guess I'm curious to hear from the two of you, like what, what does questioning that, look like? Like, is the only way to do this to say, no, we've got to make an agreement that like, you totally can. I hope you don't, but like, you totally can. (laughs) That seems a little disingenuous to go that far. So I think it's an interesting thing to explore. Yeah, I was talking with a friend yesterday who divulged to me that he and his husband have been in a dom sub relationship for a number of years. And his husband is the dom and was allowed to sleep with whomever he wanted they still call themselves monogamous and yet that's like part of their agreement Hmm, and i think that to some people would be very outside of the realms of compulsory monogamy yeah and yet they still call themselves monogamous so that's that is you know what dedeker said kind of at the top that this idea of what compulsory monogamy is is just totally it's changing so rapidly and so intensely, I think, for so many people, because it really, mm-hmm. I think, to some people means a hall pass when you're away on a business trip. That's still like monogamy to some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, too, because it also kind of goes into this idea of um, uh, I feel like there's a term that's often used for this, but like consensual commitment or I'm agreeing to a certain commitment with you because I'm choosing to versus because because I'm just thinking about autonomy, right? And when you think about yeah. dom-sub relationships, there's inherently like part of the dynamic, part of the appeal is the lack of autonomy often, mm. often in certain, you know, BDSM type relationships, there's a certain amount of I'm giving you some control over me, yeah. which is a little different from the idea of because you're my partner, I expect that you're not going to do these things versus we've kind of willingly negotiated this particular, I'm going to give up some autonomy. It doesn't mean I couldn't take it back. Right. So there's that too. But so that does raise an interesting question of, of how that autonomy applies. Well, your next point on here was the assumption of power over a partner or your assumption of duty to one partner. Mm. And I think, yeah, if that's, I like the idea of those things being explored more specifically and not just having it be a default because we're monogamous. This is what this means. Obviously, you're going to drop everything if something happens to me, or obviously, I'm going to always trump everyone else in your life if something if i'm in need in any way and i think yeah those ideas being even spoken about and really dissected by a couple by two individuals creates the opportunity for more autonomy i think that's a great point of 
of just taking things out of the realm of undiscussed and assumed into we've actually you know, pulled these things out of the back of the drawer and looked at them yeah, and seen, you know, what is this? And maybe it's like, okay, cool. We know what this is now. We're still going to keep that. Or maybe it's, ooh, we looked at this and actually this one, maybe we don't need. We've kind of had an assumption about this, but we don't need that. I would yeah. say even that is one of the benefits of doing something like going through the Relationship Anarchy Smorgasbord, which I highly mm-hmm. recommend everyone does at some point in your relationships, just to explore and even see what some of those assumptions might be that you haven't even thought of. I think that in a healthy relationship, and and I, I would make the argument, I think this applies to any format of relationship, monogamous or non-monogamous. I think there is a tension between, I guess, what I identify as like the locus of where decision-making power lies Like, I think Mm. there's a push-pull between are decisions made by individuals autonomously autonomously in the relationship or are they made as a unit for the sake of the relationship? I think in reality, you need a little bit of both. And I think that falls in line with relationship anarchy. So it's like not only individual autonomy, but also the individuals in the relationship are making decisions for themselves for the sake of the relationship, right? I think that Esther Perel's work talks a lot about this as well, about that tension of like, you need not only the closeness, but also the distance as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, that's what I think. Um, But I also think that like what you're talking about with a lot of these assumptions and all of this being so compulsory. And by default, I think even in very simple things of like being in a monogamous relationship and still advocating for your own alone time or yeah, not always really big. To yeah. Someone. Not yeah, having some every bit of leftover time automatically. That's time that we spend together. And I think if you're in a monogamous relationship and even if you're doing great at the whole autonomous time thing, there's still the culture that you live in. Like a few years ago, uh, so Jason and I, we were going to do a pet sit at this really cool and very spooky house in Los Angeles. I can tell the, uh, the spooky house so story later. Cool. Um, it was so cool. But the way so it was going to, yeah, the way it was going to work out was actually, I was mostly going to be solo staying there because you had to work and you just wanted to stay at a place, you know, with your friend that was closer to work. You were maybe going to stay there sometimes. Right. And the people who own this house were just like, what, what why he's wait, your partner's in town. He, but he's not going to stay with you? What? Like, what? Why? Why? And I'm just like, because that's how we do it. Like, I, This came up with me recently where a few weeks ago, I did like a little solo getaway. It was my birthday present to myself. And nobody said anything. But whenever I told people about it, always in the back of my mind was like, oh, God, I wonder if they're going to worry that like I'm having a fight with Jace. Jason. Yes. Yum. And that's why he's not coming with me for my birthday getaway or or like people think that things are bad at home. And that's why I'm, you know, having to run away or something on my own. And I'm like, no, I just want to freaking be by myself. Like, <laughs> Yeah. God forbid. You know, so, so I think yeah. that is another difficult thing is like even if you are traditionally monogamous, but still great on the autonomy front, there's still all this expectation that can weigh pretty heavily on you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go on to our next major pillar here, value. uh, And that is anti-hierarchical practices. I think this is actually quite related to autonomy that we were just talking about. And basically the central idea here is saying that part of 
anarchy, part of relationship anarchy, is we want to dismantle hierarchies. This idea that this thing is more important than another thing purely because of what it is rather than its actual value or its actual connection. So, you know, the example we've been giving is that your romantic relationship is by default always going to be a higher priority than your friendships, than your parents, maybe everything except for your own children are kind of considered by default, those will always be lower priority. But there's other ways this shows up too. Another way I see it quite often in certain families is this idea that because this person is my family, even if that's a cousin or something like that, they are by definition more valuable, more important, more deserving of my loyalty than someone else who's not related to me. As someone who has a lot of shitty family members, no. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, family tends to bring up stuff for people about that. Yeah, I know. But some people are so like blood is thicker than water. And I'm like, that may be the case. Well, I'm going to drink water. I'm not a vampire. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, look at that through through history, right? Like, Dedeker mm-hmm. and I love to watch the the Highlander series from the '90s, and it's all about like I'm Duncan McLeod of the Clan McLeod, and so oh, that's where I you're meet... going with this. I was really wondering yeah. why you're bringing Highlander uh-huh. into this. Yeah, that's as any excuse <laughs> to bring Targaryens up Highlander. Targaryens are freaking yeah incesting sure. all over the place. <laughs> sure, we see it there too, and that there's this idea that like I've never met this person before in my life. And maybe I have another person that I have a history with and a friendship with, but I learned that this person is my kinsman as it is in in these like historical stories. Oh, well now you have my loyalty. Now, like I'm going to, you know, sacrifice myself or work really hard to help you not because of anything you did or any actual value in our relationship, just purely because we're connected there. And I know I'm like getting off topic a little bit, but we that's through all our history books. It's in a lot of our stories, all that it's there too. Even if some of us don't feel that with our own immediate families, but you know, that comes up is just another example of a thing that we often don't question. It's like, you see that and you're like, Oh yeah, mm, that makes sense. Right. They're, they're clansmen or whatever it is. It's like, well, but why, why do we say that that's more important? Same with our romantic relationships. Same with those family relationships. Well, I want to bring up, so (laughs) back in, gosh, when was this? Maybe 2016, when I was trying to be a cool kid, I I picked up... You're very cool. Oh, thank you. Uh, But I was trying even harder to be cool (laughs) back then. (laughs) (laughs) I picked up actually a really great collection of essays. It's... um, It's a very 2013 title, but it's called Queering Anarchism, Addressing and Undressing Power and Desire. Uh. And you can either buy it or um, in the Anarchist Library, it's all available for free as well. Um, I definitely highly recommend it. It really blew my mind, but it also introduced me to some of the fundamentals about political anarchy, which is, yeah, this lack of hierarchy, but a lack of hierarchy doesn't automatically mean reversing existing hierarchies, which sometimes is the way that our brains tend to go, right? So if you are like, ooh, I want to be more relationship anarchist in my relationship, so that means my romantic partner, my monogamous romantic partner is at the bottom and everyone else comes first. <laughs> yes, sure. I'm, I'm, smashing, case, exactly. I'm, I'm smashing all of these constructs. Uh, right. That's, funny. That's, That's a great point, though. Yes, yeah. So We don't need to go like complete opposite direction here. Right, because reversing hierarchies are still like hierarchies at the end yeah. of the day. Right. Gosh. The point is to rid oneself of them altogether, yeah. if possible. 
It's, it just and that reminds is me. It reminds me of going to Vegas several years ago and seeing the Magic Mike show in Vegas. Oh, yeah. oh yes, yeah, that's a great example of that story. Why? What about yeah. it? Yeah. So the the whole conceit of that show uh-huh. is that it starts off kind of looking like I don't know some sort of a typical male strip club where they're still objectifying women and the woman kind of gets up and is like, no, this is bullshit. I'm going to take over and kind of flips it all. And it's like about women treating men like shit and being sexually coercive to them and like doing all this awful stuff. And it like still ends up feeling like gross and weird and sexist. And I was just like, no, you don't get it. This is like a really (laughs) good example of someone who, of a, of a man writing a show about this thing and thinking, oh, yeah, that'll be cool. Women will like this. That'll be empowering. That's what they're looking for. And it's like, no, well, it was actually shitty. I mean, dancing was great and the was guys were say, hot. So still I still had, had a fun time. Good, you still had <laughs> some good reviews of that show, if I recall correctly. Yeah. There yeah. were some really good numbers and some amazing dancers, but the, the like writing of the show, <laughs> I have a lot of notes about. But it's a good example yeah. of that. Oh, we're just going to flip it. It's like, no, that's not what this looks like. Yeah. It's the same thing of why, you know, the argument of why uh, anthropologists have said we've never found a matriarchal society is because they were looking for an opposite where men are being oppressed, right? right? They're looking for that as the definition of what a matriarchy would look like. And that's not, that isn't necessarily what that has to look like. So, so yeah, that's a really good point to bring up. Can we move on to lack of state and social control? I mean, you don't have to ask us. You're, you're autonomous. We're not, we don't have any, <laughs> Why, any obligations. You. If you want to move on, you can. You don't have to. <laughs> we hold no power I appreciate over you, that. Emily. I appreciate that very much. That's true. <laughs> I think in our, in our little company, we do pretty well being non-hierarchical, even though, you know, the two of you are in a hierarchical or not hierarchical relationship. The two of you are coupled. Right. And Mm -hmm. I am not, but I still feel very much like the three of us are all autonomous individuals. And like the two of you treat me as though I am just as important as like you two, maybe to one another with the company. Mm. Yeah. 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 So that's good. Well, okay. If we're talking about state and social control, we discussed this before, but how this state sanctioned relationship, which is marriage, how it is this thing that's kind of held up on the top of a a mighty pillar in our society. And we all look at it and it's like so many people say, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to aspire to. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, so much of our media, so many stories that we're fed and that are told tell us that that is the thing that we need to get to. And that's the only thing that matters ultimately, and that that's the only way that you're going to be happy. So that all is really fascinating. And just completely sort of disregarding that or, or tossing that aside is scary. But it's also, I think, really empowering that the potential for that is there. And then instead, like we said, you can create the relationship that you want, whatever that looks like or relationships that all the relationships in your life can be of meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that another thing to consider with this one, with the, that kind of um, lack of state and social control is that question I brought up before of if you're still living a life that looks very normal to people and they can assume that and you get the benefits of that, of not having to explain yourself, of people not uh, 
like when people assume things about your relationship, do they tend to assume correctly is one Mm -hmm. of those things that comes up. And I think just sort of questioning that and looking at it is a place to start of even if I might, you know, even if I might be bisexual and, and maybe I am, I am polyamorous, but if people look at me and see, oh, okay, he's got a female partner and they live together. I don't have to explain myself. I, I get to, yeah, I get to reap the benefits of that, of just leaving an easier, more comfortable life, not having people question me, not having to explain things, all of that. I'm getting the benefits of those. And, and that is a true example, right? That is something that I do get those benefits of. And so it brings up that question of, well, am I doing anything then to like, is my behavior just reinforcing to everyone else that that's normal and that's not something that they should question or mm-hmm. am I doing anything to, to kind of challenge that a little bit, to challenge those assumptions and to help make that world better for other people who might not have the advantage of currently being in a relationship that looks more normal, right? right. And, and that's, I think that's something that I could always be doing a better job of personally, but mm. that's kind of the type of question to get at here that I think can be really helpful of, of taking it outside of just yourself and just in your own head of like, but what, what, what am I doing? What could I be doing that could be pushing this forward and helping to change this worldview? Do you think that if someone is married or has chosen to get married, do you think Jace automatically rescinds their RA card? Jay swoops in because he's the authority now. Nope. <laughs> Grab the card away from them. I think there are other people out there who would make that argument. I don't think mm. that's my point of view, but I think some mm-hmm. people would, would hold that point of view. I think it goes back to that question we were asking before of, well, why are you married? Is this... Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question to ask. Mm-hmm yourself if you you know not just oh well it's romantic and that that's nice too and maybe that is your answer right but I yeah think there has to be fundamental reason behind yeah, get, it get clear on it yeah yeah i also feel the need suddenly to swoop in and say this the whole point of this episode is not to convince everybody to go relationship anarchist actually i think we need all types <laughs> no i mean on the contrary <laughs> um, yes yeah but but I do think there's something there, though, of, of, again, if the point of this is really to look at these and say, well, how might we apply more of this in our lives? Because mm-hmm. I do think that the core ideas of relationship anarchy are really about positivity and empowering more people and helping more people's relationships to be validated and for people to be able to, you know, shape their own destinies more. I think that's mm-hmm. all great. And I don't think it means that you have to have a bunch of different sexual relationships with different people and that you can't have any that you're really close and dedicated to and that you have to spend equal amounts of time with all of them. You know, stuff that that we talk about a lot on, on other episodes too, of that idea of not having hierarchy doesn't mean you spend exactly equal amounts of time and do equal things with yeah. every partner, right? Those, those are two different concepts. And so I think more just here of that, that question of, well, if I want to get married, why do I want to get married? You know, is it because there's like a status symbol attached to it? Is it just because I think I should? Is it because I think it's romantic? Is it because there's some concerns about citizenship or healthcare? Mm. Or, you know, am I just trying to take advantage of the legal benefits of this? And none of these answers are necessarily wrong. 
right? It's not to say that if, if it is, cause I think it's romantic that that's inherently bad, but it's something worth questioning. Cause I think no one does for most people. They would never even question that thought of like, is that a good reason to specifically enter this legal contract? Yeah. Well, speaking of questioning and or not questioning things, I want to rope in kind of this next core principle of anti-normativity. And my interpretation of this is it's not to automatically equate everything that we consider to be normative or quote unquote normal means that it's bad. And so we need to always be anti it. I think there's a lot of things that we consider to be socially normative that are great. (laughs) It's, I think don't kill people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Emily. I'm so glad you reinforced that. (laughs) Just Um, putting it out there. (laughs) You know, I I think it's more of what I consider anti-normativity is, you know, are you questioning things that normally go unquestioned? Like, are you questioning defaults that normally go unquestioned? Are you avoiding reinforcing stigma and consequences for people who are non-normative or who live in a non-normative way. I think that's how I I feel. It's not just about everything that's normal and mainstream. I'm going to be automatically by default against it. I think it's more about examining things that often go unexamined, right? And so even in a monogamous relationship, that could be things like looking at the division of labor in your relationship, Mm -hmm. Are we just running that by default? Is that something that can be changed? Is that something that can be switched? Are there particular gender roles playing out by default that we could actually be looking at and examining and make taking actions to make it so that that feels more equitable or matches more with what people, the kind of roles people actually want to play in the relationship, things like that. And then I, I guess the, you know, avoiding increasing stigma for people who do live a more non-normative life or relationship or things like that are things like, how do you talk about things like marriage and and monogamy out in the world or non-monogamy or basically anyone who's not living a normie life, right? It's like, how do you talk about those things? When others around you disparage them, do you say anything, right? Do you, do you push back against that in any way? That's that's kind of where this lands for me and how I think that people could apply that regardless of their type of relationship. Yeah. I think the core here is that it's anti-normativity and not anti-normative stuff. That the mm-hmm. thing that it's anti is sort of the whole concept of the normativity of just, well, that's an assumption that we can make and we don't really need to question. And anyone who's not that, the burden's on them to tell us that it's not that. Hmm. Right. Cause we will just assume it's the normal thing. That's the normativity part. We're going to assume it's that. And if it's not that they've kind of got to go out of their way to make that work for me and to explain it to me and, and tell me. And I think this can show up in some different ways. And one of them that I'm seeing more and more that I actually think is, is nice is um, people clarifying their pronouns, even when everyone would assume the same thing that you use right? Is that like me saying I'm Jace, he, him. Uh, and I'm actually seeing this more and more in professional contexts. So yeah. in on work calls with people from other companies where I will notice it's very much a company culture thing where there's some companies that show up and almost everyone's got their pronouns written there and, and other people don't. So that it's not this thing of, I'm only going to put it because I think you're not going to assume because now the burden's on me as the not normative one to explain it to you versus kind of saying, well, 
what if we all explained this? Cause we are going against this idea that we should just assume your pronouns are the thing that I think you are based on whatever, right. Based on your name, based on your facial hair, based on your voice, something like that. So I know that's not, I don't think you're changing the world necessarily, but I do think that's at least an example of some, of something like that. And I think it'd be interesting to look for more options like that of what are some other ways that you could, maybe everyone assumes you're married and you are, what are maybe some things you could do to, to make it not seem like, well, you can just assume that and you're always right. I don't know. Just throwing that out there as a thing to think about. Yeah. I, I at work, when I'm addressing like a large table of people, I always say y'all now, like, how are y'all mm. doing today? What would you yeah. all like? Not saying ladies or how are you guys doing? And I know that my coworkers have actually asked like, uh, I, I say ladies or I say guys, like, how are you all doing? You know, how are you guys doing today? And I sometimes get bad looks and I'm like, yeah, because you, you can't assume you just simply cannot mm. anymore. And I think shifting in that realm of, you know, moving away from this idea that, oh, well, you look X way. So therefore, I'm going to just automatically call you this. I think the idea of moving away from that is huge. And I love that that's happening in, uh, in more corporate cultures, too, Jay. So that's excellent. Because I think for a time, some people kind of scoffed at, oh, you're saying pronouns. Okay. But now we're moving away from that. And that's great that it's just becoming more normative in that way. And that's a good thing. Sure, sure. I guess, yeah, maybe normative is the wrong word to use there because we're anti-normativity here, right? Well, but but more normal, yeah. I guess. Changing what's normal, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And our last of the five values that we're going to talk about in this particular episode is community interdependence. And so I guess first, let's just get into a little bit of what does that mean? What, what do those words mean? Community interdependence. Well, I think we've talked about this on the show many times before. Often we talk about it as sort of a precursor to our Relationship Anarchy 101 talks or workshops that we've given. But, you know, just this whole thing that since the Industrial Revolution, we've sort of been atomized into these tiny little nuclear family units that are not necessarily very interdependent on community. It's actually kind of expected that all of your social emotional needs are going to be met by your romantic partner and yeah. your children, you know, and, and even shaving away the extended family members like aunts and uncles and grandparents that might be a part of that. And it, again, I think even when people are still doing community activities like going to church together or synagogue together to the mosque together, whatever, like we have a little bit of community, but we're still going to break up into our little separate little nuclear family groups and go home at the end of that. Right. And so I do think that the traditional monogamy model still really encourages that, right. It's just like make your little unit and it's super easy to do so. Like everything in our culture is set up for you to want yeah. to do that and to do that. And so I do think that, but, but if you are in a monogamous relationship, I don't think that means that you have to follow that default by any means. Yeah. Having a dependence on others within your community, I think is really a wonderful thing and something that I really relied on growing up in my life, just in terms of my friends, I had three 
families that I was super close to that were not blood related, but that I, you know, helped raise me in a variety of ways and that I considered chosen family. And I think things like relationship anarchy and polyamory really allow for that to be more the case that that people can come around and help raise the children and give people a night off and that it doesn't just have to be this outrageously challenging work of only two people are rearing the children and nobody ever gets a night off or if it does happen then you know it's expensive and difficult things like that i think i love the idea that we have the option to be more dependent upon those around us and that we can create more community in that way. This is reminding me of a blog that I read several years ago when I was first thinking of becoming a digital nomad. This is back in like 2014, 2015, that I found this blog run by this couple who they had been nomads for several years and also had a kid, you know, birthed their child and took their baby mm. along with them while they were nomading around, right? Which in itself is already pretty non-normative, but something that they expressed that they loved was that it meant they got to raise their child because they did a lot of, in like they also lived very, very frugally. So it wasn't just like, we're rich and we're going to go all over the place. Like they went to, you know, volunteer in places and, and things like that, um, that you know, their child is raised around a community of like aid workers, essentially, who are also Mm -hmm. helping to raise the child that it kind of, instead of that, the whole traveling process, that can be very isolating, but instead of it isolating them, it kind of forced them to be like, we have to find community where we're at, right? Like we have to connect to people and our child gets exposed to a lot of different people. That's not just us. And, and yeah, I thought that that was really, really interesting. I think an interesting example of, you know, as far as I could tell, a monogamous couple married, but still, you know, living out these non-normative values, trying to instill that in their child and also Mm. becoming more interdependent on community. Yeah. And I think that is a great thing to connect back to what you mentioned earlier, Dedeker, about there was sort of there are still some people who use this label relationship anarchy as a way to say, I don't want to have any obligations to anyone. Don't count on me. Don't depend on me. Like we can have fun if we want, but like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out of my way for you. So don't expect that from me. Uh, you know, it's, I've talked before about when I was interviewed by Kat Black and she asked her listeners for questions for a guy who to talk about relationship anarchy. And one of the questions she got was like, ask him why he's an asshole. Uh, And I'm just (laughs) like, I was like, I get it. I get it. People have that impression. Totally. And and I think well-deserved based on like some of the behaviors that I've seen matched up to that label. Uh, Yeah. I think it's unfortunate, but I, I get it too. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I said when she asked me that. I'm like, look, I, I understand like that's, that's not what this is, but unfortunately that's what some people have made it is that kind of thing. Mm. But to come back to this is that something that comes up in the relationship anarchy manifesto by Andy Nordgren, as well as in a lot of these writings is there's so much emphasis on community interdependence and being able to count on each other that are not just in this small set of people. And maybe there's different definitions of who are the people that we can count on and who can depend on us as well. But that idea of being able to depend on people and being someone who's there for people you care about is 
a huge central part of this. So to me, yeah. that that concept that anyone could try to approach relationship anarchy as kind of this excuse to to not commit to anyone in, in any way or or be um, you know be answerable to anyone is completely goes against the the point of it and and something that's very core to it. So. So I do think I, I just wanted to bring that up to kind of bring that back around to that point that that being connected to a community and being there for the people that you care about, especially living in a society where there might not be a lot of other systems or other places that are going to care for those people if they don't fit into these particular normative ways of being is really important that that we're able to offer that support to our community and to, you know, to those people that we care about. And I also think we're going to be seeing, I think, as we millennials continue to age, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of children and not have children and not get married and not have houses and all of these things, not have safety nets that I do think that we're going to see more people intentionally or not becoming more relationship anarchist in this way, right? Of, well, I don't have this like monogamous magical soulmate and so yeah. I need to rely on other relationships and on other people for us to care for each other or to go in and actually try to buy some property together or to co-parent some children together. I'm not going to sit and wait to find the perfect romantic partner to do that. I'm going to find someone who wants to co-parent regardless of whether there's romance or sex there or not. Right. So I do think that we're probably going to see just based out of pure functionality and practicality. I think we're going to see more people heading in this direction. Yeah. So our main takeaway from this episode is just to take some time to evaluate and challenge some of your default ways of thinking, whether that is uh, just you've never questioned some of these monogamous things or you're polyamorous, but still falling into a lot of these normative ways of doing your relationships and you're just not questioning that and thinking, oh, well, just having multiple is, is enough to be, to be radical and to be different and to change. Uh, or this could show up if you're someone who's a relationship anarchist, who's like, no, there's no way that these monogamous people could ever be relationship anarchist. Whoever you are, the point of this is to just think about that a little bit and question that and look at what are the values? You know, what is the purpose of this? How is this trying to better the world? And looking at, is there anything I could reevaluate for that? Is there anything different that I could be doing or better ways that I could be supporting myself and other people. We would also love to hear from you. We have our question of the week, which we're going to post on our Instagram story, which is, do you think people can be monogamous and a relationship anarchist at the same time? That is the core question of this episode. And I'm very interested to hear because I expect there to be some strong opinions on either side in this one. Also, if you want to discuss this episode further, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. 
perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.